It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. We need to remain vigilant and avoid escalation. Ministers made clear any future Russian aggression would come at a high price and have serious political and economic consequences for Russia. And that was uh, Jan Stolenberg. You know who he is, NATO Secretary General, because all indications are intelligence revealed. Now it's public that the Russians have about 100,000 troops on the Ukrainian border and could invade in, invade in January. And now Vladimir Putin saying, I'm telling you right now, NATO, you better not expand and stop with sending missiles over there. Uh, Mike Pompeo knows all about these conundrums. He was former Secretary of State, former Director of the CIA, former Congressman, uh, and now joins us. Uh, Mr. Secretary, thanks so much for your, for your time. It's great to be with you today, Brian. So do you like what NATO's doing, trying to get ahead of this, or should we be doing this? Well, we should both be doing it, I think. It should certainly be NATO. It's their mission. Uh, it's, their, it's their reason for existence is uh, pushing back against what was the then Soviet Union now, uh, of Vladimir Putin, who still thinks the greatest tragedy of the last century was the dissolution of the Soviet Union. He still wants to expand his empire. He, he thinks Ukraine is rightly part of his country. Um, but the United States needs to make clear uh, its expectations as well and the costs. And, you know, I, I like Secretary General Stolberg. I think he did a nice job there. Looks like what NATO's contemplating is mostly economic sanctions. But there are so many other tools in the kit bag that the United States could bring to gear to create the deterrence. Frankly, Brian, the deterrence that we had for four years, you'll recall, uh, the, the Russians took uh, a Crimea on President Obama's watch. It appears that they think they have another chance to salami slice Ukraine one more time. Well, they never really left, right? These so-called private inter- private soldiers just kind of just took a portion of Ukraine and just kind of nested there. Is that correct? So they've been in that southeast portion. It's called the Donbass. They've been in that region for a long time, and there's a hot war going on for a good long time, folks, shooting back and forth against this so-called, uh, you know, line of line of control where there's supposed to be a, a peace deal. There's artillery and folks doing bad stuff all, all the time. Uh, the United States and, and, frankly, the Europeans need to do their hard work to convince Vladimir Putin that it's just not worth the candle. And if you do that, if you do that well, you can be sure that he'll take note of that and it'll reduce the risk that he decides to take some more of the people of Ukraine. And, you know, ultimately, Brian, it's not just Ukraine. He'll, he'll move back into the Baltics. He'll, he thinks that all of those former Soviet states are rightfully part of his country. So what you did is you guys were hitting individuals, fellow oligarchs and higher-ups, to make them feel personal pain. But it didn't really alter their behavior. It's not like they left Georgia, right? It's not, it's not as if they pulled out of that section of the Ukraine. No, it's true. They, we, we, didn't, we didn't push them back any further than the day that we found them when we, we took office. We weren't able to convince them to, uh, to retreat. Um, but we made clear the price of expansion, the price of that effort would be uh, pretty significant. And we knew that they had other interests in the world, right? We're not just pushing up against the Russians in Europe. We push up against them in Syria. We see them uh, fooling around in our elections. You saw what they did to the colonial pipeline uh, during this administration. This is, this is a full-on effort, a a complex effort by the Russians. We saw that you saw them blow up a satellite now what, a week ago, demonstrating another capability. This is what happens when America demonstrates the weakness like we did in Afghanistan, the weakness like we've shown 
against the Iranians, frankly, the weakness against the Chinese Communist Party, these other bad guys, these other dictators, uh, these other totalitarians around the world observe that and think, I'm going to take mine, too, while President Biden's in office. Nordstrom, too, is going to go ahead. They could still stop it. But Anthony Blinking's telling everybody, uh, let them finish it, even though it bypasses the Ukraine and makes them addicted to Russian oil and gas. And that they say is because we don't want to anger Germany. What's the danger of angering Germany for doing something they never <laughs> should have done? Yeah, Brian, this is just bad policy. This is just not not, not intelligent, not informed. Uh, we had put sanctions in place while they built out a significant piece of the pipeline. We were confident we could keep it from being complete and having product flow. That product flow gives the Russians a stranglehold on German energy. The fact that the Germans can't see it is unexplainable to me. I think there are deep German commercial business interests that lie at Chancellor Merkel's uh, feet, and she's allowed this pipeline to continue because of that. But from our perspective, from the Ukrainians' perspective, frankly, from the Poles and other Eastern Europeans' perspective, this is just a really dangerous idea to give Russia this kind of stranglehold on their capacity to heat their homes and fuel their vehicles and drive electricity into their houses as well. Right, if, especially if you want to send a message, and they can send one right back. Uh, so they say that uh, Vladimir Putin just said he looks at America as the greatest threat, not China. They have basically, how would you characterize their alliance right now, knowing culturally they're so different, constant border skirmishes, historically they've never been tight, but wh- how do you characterize their relationship now? I think it's one of uh, practical pragmatism on the part of Vladimir Putin. For the moment, he sees a weak America and a strong China. He wants to be with the the person he perceives as uh, stronger. Uh, But you're right. It's an uneasy alliance. They've got a long border together. The Chinese have never honored that. He also knows that it is truly the Chinese Communist Party that poses a real threat in the end to his territorial uh, efforts in the East uh, and that the U.S. is not someone who's going to come disrupt his country. I I think in his heart he knows that, but his effort, this effort in Ukraine, this effort in uh, uh, the the other former satellite countries of the Soviet Union, this is at the center of who Vladimir Putin is. He he wants to retake it on his time, and he sees sidling up to China for the moment as the most strategic and strategically advantageous for him to achieve that. So here's what Anthony Blinken said. By the way, I talked to a congressman, and you were a powerful congressperson, too, of impact. But I talked to one uh, the other day, and I don't know if I just don't know if he told me not to say anything, but I'll just tell you what he said, but I won't name him. He said that this is basically openly known that they're going to invade in January. And we know that, and Biden knows that. And the question is, what will he do about it? Having said that, here's the Secretary of State of what he said in a warning to Russia. At the president's direction, CIA Director Burns traveled to Moscow to convey our concerns, our commitment to a diplomatic process. And the severe consequences uh, should Russia follow the path of confrontation and military action. We've made it clear to the Kremlin that we will respond resolutely, including with a range of high-impact economic measures that we've refrained from using in the past. What's he talking about? Well, it's hard to know. I I hope he's talking about real economic sanctions that strike, to your point, Brian, earlier – at the individuals who matter the most, the decision makers that sit around Vladimir Putin, these oligarchs, we, we were most effective when we identified the bad actors who conducted these activities, whether it was cyber activity or uh, the Skirball incident, and go after directly using a thing called the Global Magnitsky Act, which puts real sanctions on individuals that are serious. Right. I hope the administration is prepared to do that. They should be clear. They should be clear publicly about the cost that will be imposed, not just privately. 
that would be a good deterrent to convince Putin that it was going to be too costly for him to be as aggressive as it appears he intends to be. So I got to bring it to another thing that's unfolding now, and that's the Durham report. I know you try to stay above it, your CIA secretary of state. But now we find out that Christopher Steele's source was actually in the Brookings Institute, who happened to be of Russian heritage. Now we find out his source, uh, this Belarusian, had no, was not giving any intelligence to this alleged Russian from the Brookings Institute. And now the Washington Post is walking back their article, changing it in the archive, saying we made a mistake because now the story that we wrote up in 2017 is not verifiable. And it turns out the source of it is an American. 1990, a guy that was with Bill Clinton as, uh, as early as late as 1996, Chuck Dolan Jr., who happened to be when Donald Trump was running the, uh, the Miss Universe pageant in Russia at the same time, where a lot of these salacious allegations took root. So all these stories seem to be made up to the point where the Washington Post is writing, is, is ripping up their stories and admitting they were wrong, not in a public way, that the way they should, but admitting it. Might it be, yeah. Mr. Secretary, is it too much of a leap? Did Vladimir Putin was actually telling the truth when he said, I didn't do all this stuff? I, I must say, it's, it's not publicly known, and I, so I can speak to the public facts. It is not publicly known that this dossier was largely a creation of the Democrat institutional elite leaders. We can see all the machinations behind it with Mark Elias and the gang. We can see that's how this was built. The media then took the bait. Um, I think that we should all be mindful when the media says we have sources. We should all now acknowledge that if they're not prepared to name sources, this is the kind of risk that they create, the misinformation campaign. Uh, But worst of all was our Justice Department and our FBI failing to get this right, failing to uh, take what I think they knew, that this was really thin sauce, this was really weak stuff, and building out uh, the Mueller report and investigation around what was clearly disinformation put upon them by the Democrat Party. Here it is. This will be a stain on the FBI for an awfully long time. What I said, is that too much of a leap, that, that he did not interfere in our elections? Well, no, I think it's pretty clear. They were doing things around the edges of our elections. What the, 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 the core of the, uh, the Steele dossier, though, isn't even about that. The core of the Steele dossier is that somehow our administration was in cahoots with the Russians or that President Trump was a Russian asset. That's what Congressman Schiff and the others were foisting on America. That is patently false, and I think we can see the Steele dossier, which was the basis for these claims, was patently false. Mr. Well. Secretary, thanks so much. I appreciate you squeezing me into your schedule. Great insight. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's been Mike Pompeo. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.